If you're a local government enthusiast who's looking for fresh conversations over a hot cup of morning coffee or tea or while you're driving or walking the dog, you do you. You're in the right place. Welcome to the Local Gov Cafe podcast, hosted by Susan Gardner and Ann Mitchell. This podcast is devoted to having conversations that matter, covering the full menu of municipal topics. You'll discover guests who bring insight and inspiration to the issues that drive and challenge communities. We'll be talking with leaders in policy, practice, consulting, and academia to put a spotlight on civic government and the people who make it all happen at the local level. Welcome to another episode of the Local Gov Cafe, and thank you to everyone for tuning in. Susan, what do we have brewing in the cafe today? Today, we're thrilled to have Andrew Sancton with us. He's a professor emeritus of political science at University of Western, formerly the director of Western's local government program. And he recently prepared a report entitled Reassessing the Case for Development Charges in Canadian Municipalities. The report takes a critical look at the impact of development charges on housing affordability, especially in hot housing markets like the GTA and Metro Vancouver. Welcome, Andy. Thanks a lot, Susan. Great to be here. Thanks for joining us today, Andy. Perhaps you could start by providing just a brief overview of your report. Uh, well, and this was something I kind of uh, uh, stumbled into in, in a way. I was curious about development charges, where they came from, how we got to have them. And as I got more into it, I became more critical of them. So I decided to write a sort of historical and ethical account of where they came from, what the implications of them were. And it got me thinking that I was doing this just at the time when all of the fuss was starting to brew about the cost of housing. And I thought, gee, there's in Ontario, in some GTA municipalities, we're adding more than $100,000 to the cost of a new house by development charges. And uh, maybe it's time to have some kind of serious discussion about the connection of development charges to the cost of housing and whether it's a good thing to have them. And so my report tries to address that. If I, you could just indulge me for a minute, I'll tell you one other little personal thing that was going on when I was starting to get interested in this. My wife and I lived in a big house near Western in an old established neighborhood. And we got this notice from the city that they were going to be reconstructing the road, putting in all new sewers, and it might cause a little inconvenience for us. They didn't send us any bill. They just said this is what the city was going to do. And it occurred to me then that we would be paying nothing for having this total redevelopment of our streets, while out in new suburban areas, People would not only be paying for their infrastructure, they would be paying a share of new infrastructure outside their area, and then their property taxes would be used to help pay for the reconstruction of my street. And all of these kinds of things got me going, and I decided to look at it, and I ended up saying, look, we really do have to wonder about why we are doing this, especially since the development charges in Ontario are the highest in North America. Anyway, that's what got me going on this, and that's what the report is about. So the inequity of this situation with the older neighborhood and the newer neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of the discussion about development charges is very technical. How do you evaluate the cost of this and that and everything? 
if anybody is concerned about that, my report's not the place to find that. I'm interested in these ethical concerns about equity and why we are why we do this in the way that we're doing it. There's some interesting observations that you've made there. And I think things that aren't often brought up and certainly not often thought of. And so maybe we go back to the source of development charges and this concept of growth should pay for growth, which is often cited. What are the key faulty assumptions that your report identifies in that particular argument? It's a growth should pay for growth is a slogan. And I think it is important to, to interrogate what it means. And one of the biggest problems, in my view, with the slogan is it assumes that you can separate and localize the costs of new growth. In other words, if you're putting a new subdivision in one, in one place, you can assume that you can quantify the costs of new roads and the sewers and everything that's associated with that development, not just inside the development, but outside the development. That includes new fire stations, libraries, and everything else. I think that we all benefit from new infrastructure, and it's very difficult to quantify it's the localized effects of new infrastructure. And once you start questioning that assumption, you're questioning the whole basis of just about every study that's that's done to justify development charges. I've been studying urban politics for a long time, and I've been, right from the very beginning, I've worked from the assumption, I've been taught that everybody in municipalities wants more growth. That's why we have economic development offices. And the reason we have more economic development offices is to attract more jobs and attract more residents who spend money, who support local businesses. That's why people want growth. And we all benefit from growth in that way. Not uncontrolled growth, but orderly financed growth. We want that. Why do we say that the new construction, residential and commercial construction associated with that, has to pay for the infrastructure that goes along with that? Because when municipalities started, it was assumed that they would always pay for new growth and municipalities would put in sewers and roads and hope that somebody would come and build houses there. That got municipalities into trouble. I'm not saying that's a good way of proceeding, but that was the basis on which the infrastructure got built in the older neighborhoods where I live. That's one of my main concerns. We should all pay for growth. And I think we should all borrow collectively in order to pay for that growth. Because you know what happens now? Somebody living in a new subdivision who's had a $100,000 tacked on with the cost of their house usually would add that to their mortgage. They pay for the infrastructure through their mortgage. It would actually be cheaper if the municipality did the borrowing on behalf of all of us. And to get back to Anne's point that I, of course, am trying to make, that would be more equitable. Not only would it be cheaper, it would be more equitable. That's a great point, too. And it makes me think, too, of service provision overall. And as somebody who's a local government practitioner, I've always said to what kind of community do you want to be? And so these charges, these inequitable charges, can you expand, Andy, on the historical context of how development charges came to be in Canada and give us some background? Okay, sure, Anne. I take a crack at that. 
I hinted at some of it because originally infrastructure got built by municipalities, not a very good system. Sometimes, sometimes people even got permission to build houses before the infrastructure was in there and uh, they had no water or no roads. Eventually we got to the point, especially after the second world war, after municipalities were burned in the depression by borrowing money for infrastructure that they couldn't pay back, huge demand for housing and developers would come along and say, don't worry about the infrastructure for this new area that we want to develop, that we call a subdivision. We'll build it all and then turn it over to you. And that was the basis of a subdivision agreement. And then sometimes municipalities got nervous about that and said, that's all very well for you to build the new infrastructure within the subdivision, but it's going to cost some more for new trunk sewers and arterial roads, and maybe we'll need a new fire station there. So the uh, developer said, oh, we'll pitch in some money to help build that. And it was a kind of let's make a deal arrangement between developers and municipalities. And there was lots of room for, let's call it unequal treatment there that some councils could favor some developers over others. So everybody thought it should be uh, standardized. So development charges were a way of facilitating growth in a way. And it worked, except especially in Ontario, and perhaps in Vancouver as well, development charges took on a life of their own and became even more costly than, than anybody initially imagined. That's how they started. And I should say they started more in the States than in Canada. They started in small suburban municipalities where people voted on debt and nimbyism was very strong. And I just don't think in general, we have that kind of municipal environment in Canada. So we have development charges, but we now don't have the background political necessity. That was the case more in the United States. You talk about the faulty assumptions. Can you expand on that a little bit, Andy? One of the faulty assumptions is that development simply won't happen if we don't have uh, development charges. And that would be the case if our municipalities were completely autonomous, if provincial governments had no control over everything, and if you had these small suburban municipalities that were designed purely for residential purposes. But in Ontario, certainly, we know that if a municipality started blocking development just because they didn't want to pay for new infrastructure, the province has there's all kinds of mechanisms that they can use to step in to make sure that's happening. And anybody who's following what's happening in Ontario now knows uh, that the provincial government is doing exactly that, telling municipalities, you've got to do this, thus and so. And they have even said to municipalities, if affordable housing is being built, you can't charge development charges for that, which, of course, has gotten municipalities up in arms about it. You might think that I would be applauding that action uh, by the government. And in a sense, I applaud it just because it opens up the issue a little bit. But I don't want municipalities to be impoverished by reducing or eliminating development charges. I want us to have a bigger discussion about how to finance municipalities generally. So if you're taking away development charges on the one hand, I think you've got to province has to come back and uh, and uh, do something to compensate that through other mechanisms for financing. One of the things that you talked about yeah. that I wanted to address before we move too far away from it is <laughs> yeah. kind of this idea of 
unintended consequences that have arisen related to affordability of housing in that the development charges not only increase the cost of new homes, but as we know in the housing market, it's like the rising tide lifts all boats. And yeah. so the price of older housing stock and the rents, yeah. not just for new builds, but also for old builds, all of those things are rising in tandem. Yeah. No, I'm glad you raised that, Susan, because it's true. Now, the economists, there is a debate about how much the cost of new houses affects the cost of resale houses and the older houses. Some people say in the overall real estate market, it's just a small percentage that's new houses. And of course, in fast growing places, the new houses are much larger influence. But there's no question that to some degree, the cost of new houses affects the price of older houses. So some old boomer like me, and not only did I not have to pay development charges, get my street redeveloped, when I came to sell my house, the cost, I get more money from it because the, uh, the cost of new houses in London, Ontario is, has gone up as well. So that is another one of my concerns. If we're concerned about affordability and equity, we've got to pay attention to things like this. So maybe we can look at other jurisdictions here and maybe the answer is, do they lie there? How do development charges known under different names in various Canadian provinces how do they differ? And are there some regions that have adopted alternative approaches that might be helpful to financing growth-related infrastructure? Yeah. As I said at the beginning, this paper that I wrote isn't full of empirical analysis, so you don't. nobody can expect big charts showing exactly what the development charges are in different jurisdictions. There are such papers out there, some of them sponsored by the development industry and the home builders. There's no question that Ontario is the sort of champion with the highest costs in areas that are growing. And it's important to note places where there's no growth generally don't have development charges. They don't want to discourage development. But the GTA, London, Ottawa, places like that have development charges in the Vancouver area. They're growing. Alberta is starting to have them in the Calgary and Edmonton. Anne would know more about that than I do. I've heard that it's the debate in Halifax now. You don't think of the Maritimes as growing fast, but Halifax is growing. And so they're jumping on board this. But the jurisdiction that interests me the most in Canada is Montreal. I'm originally from Montreal. I grew up in, in Montreal. And so when I moved to Ontario to get my academic job, this whole idea that even developers would build the infrastructure within a subdivision was new to me. I had to learn about the early stages of development charges as they were coming in Ontario. But Quebec has not adopted development charges to any degree. They are tiny in the Montreal area. A study was done showed the average cost that developers had to pay for infrastructure outside subdivisions was about $1,000, $1,500. It was peanuts. What do we know about housing in Montreal? It's generally cheaper. There are smaller development companies because another side issue here is developers generally, it's just changing a little bit Ontario, but developers have to carry the cost of the development charges until they sell the houses. And you've got to be big to do development in Ontario. It's easier for smaller companies to do development in Quebec because of the absence of these charges. 
just to be absolutely fair on this, the other result of having no development charges in Montreal to speak up is that there's much higher municipal borrowing. You look at the comparative borrowing amounts in Canadian municipalities, Quebec tops the list on a per capita basis. And as, as I implied before, that's fine with me. I don't see anything wrong with municipalities borrowing to build infrastructure that's going to last for 20, 30, 50 years. So why are we so concerned about that? One of the reasons we're concerned is because municipalities went bankrupt in the 30s because they built too much infrastructure. Anyway, that's my longish answer to your question, Susan. I still think of Montreal as being the example that we all need to know much more about. And even my Francophone colleagues haven't really looked at this very much. If I were young, younger and starting a new research project, I think that's what I would do. I'd try to figure out how development worked in Montreal. Just one last quick point. Some people might say what happens is you have more corruption because it's perhaps evidence that there's more corruption in Montreal. Whether it's related to this in any way, I don't know. But uh, that's where I would want to look at Montreal. And maybe that's there's great. somebody out there listening who will pick up on that <laughs> research yeah. tip. Okay. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, Susan. Hopefully there's some <laughs> young academic out there saying, oh, that sounds like a great topic. Andrew, how have property developers and local governments reacted to the increased scrutiny of development charges? And are there any ongoing discussions or proposals to help reform? Yeah, that's a good question, Anne. Generally, developers and home builders have now got to the point where they are opposed to development charges, certainly opposed to increases. Remember, in my historical discussion that we had before, I said that they started this whole process. So you might think, oh, there's still in favor of it. But it's sort of like letting the horse out of the barn door or something. The development charges got away from them. So they are now saying generally that the development charges are too high. It's discouraging people from buying new houses. As I said before, it's a cost for developers to carry these charges because they get levied early on in the process and they don't get the money back till later. I looked at quite a few studies. Some of them are cited in my paper that were sponsored by the developers looking at the problems with development charges. Municipalities are very much wedded to development charges where they exist. And as I again as I mentioned before, there's been a huge response from Ontario municipalities, especially in the GTA, about the government's proposals or plans to reduce the development charges for affordable housing. They say, this is going to put huge holes in our budget. You can't do this. It's terrible. And they're trying to mobilize citizens to support the idea that development charges should be high. So it's becoming quite an issue in Ontario. As I said, I favor the fact that the discussion has been opened up, but we've got to have a more serious discussion about how we can finance municipalities overall. It's not just a question of taking a few dollars off development charges here and there. Just one other point on this for the people who really follow the details of this discussion. The C.D. Howe Institute has been publishing a few papers recently that point out that municipalities often cry poor, but they in fact have big reserve funds built up through development charges. And this is a tricky thing for municipalities to cope with. They have to say, oh, the reason we've got all this money is because there's going to be, we're going to have to spend it on infrastructure in the future. 
That's a bit of a hard argument to make to some young family with huge mortgage payments that have just paid a big amount for a new house in part because of high development charges. That's a great point and kind of brings us full circle to that idea of equity and maybe needing to think of these things in a completely different way than we have been. So how do you envision the future of development charges in Canada, Andy? Are there some changes that you think are necessary to strike that balance between infrastructure funding and housing affordability? Yeah, we don't have royal commissions very much anymore, certainly not in Ontario to investigate big issues, but we do need some kind of serious reassessment of not just development charges, but the overall financing of municipalities, including the financing of infrastructure. And one of the reasons we need that kind of thing is because even in the very unlikely possibility that people said, oh, Andrew Sankton said, you know, we (laughs) should get rid of development charges. Let's do it. If that were to happen, they would create all kinds of other problems. You can't get rid of development charges or even reduce them substantially in the short term without causing new kinds of inequities. As I said, first of all, it would be a problem for municipalities without getting something in return. But just think of the person who just bought a new house in suburban Toronto, paid a big chunk of development charges, and is now paying it back through their mortgage. If those prices came down because of not having to pay development charges in future, then that would be unfair to the people who are already stuck with this. So whatever happens, it's going to be over time as part of a much larger discussion. As I've said multiple times, the only way really out of of this, I think, is to have a more comprehensive discussion. But to assume that we can just go on adding the two development charges and saying that we're all, we're very concerned about housing affordability. We've got to do something about it. That's the route that we can't go forward with, in my view. So it's created a, a pretty big wound there, but the solution isn't to rip the bandage off all at once. Yeah. We're going to have to do a little bit of work to make the transition back to municipal funding and property tax and so on. Yeah, that's what I think, Susan. <laughs> You've said it very well. <laughs> I wish I was a bit younger, Andy. I'd take on the study of the Montreal example. Yeah, and one of the reasons this it hasn't happened is because you have to do most of it in French. But of course, the Francophone academics, I don't think quite realize how unique they are. And I've tried to make that, that point to them. But we need to know a lot more in just in general about how other jurisdictions do things. Because I think in Ontario, get stuck in Ontario... And I assume that happens to some extent in the other provinces. And we need to know more about even in other countries, which is hard to do. But there's no shortage of, uh, no shortage of subjects to research out there. And I think this is uh, one of the big ones. I would agree. And I think looking at the different size of municipalities in the scope of that larger study would be pretty critical as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you, Andy, so much for joining us today. This is a fascinating subject and we really appreciate your time and look forward to reading more from you. I hope we've covered some of the main points. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us in the Local Gov Cafe. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share on social media or tell a friend. And we hope you'll join us next time as we welcome our next guest. You won't want to miss it.